Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by poet, Zen priest, woman of the drum, and author, Senju Earthland Manuel, to talk about her most recent publication, The Shamanic Bones of Zen. Senju discusses the nature of Zen, the transmission of Buddhism to the West, the importance of community, and the value of just being. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, or subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, hit that like button and notification bell. Your support is truly appreciated. Osho Zenju Earthland Manuel is a poet, author, ordained Zen priest, and medicine woman of the drum. She is the Dharma heir of Buddha and the late Zenkai Blanche Hartman in the Shunro Suzuki Roshi lineage through the San Francisco Zen Center. Prior to entering Zen Buddhism, Zenju practiced in the Nichiren Soko Gakkai tradition for 15 years. She entered Zen in 2001 and began again as a beginner on the path. Zenju's practice is influenced by Native American and African indigenous traditions, including ritual, ceremony, and divination. She holds a PhD and formerly worked for decades as a social science researcher, development director for nonprofit organizations, and those serving women and girls, cultural arts, and mental health. She is the author of several books, including The Deepest Peace, Contemplations from a Season of Stillness, Sanctuary, a Meditation on Home, Homelessness, and Belonging, The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender, and her most recent publication, The Shamanic Bones of Zen. Osho, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas Bernie. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you. I really enjoyed uh, your book, The Shamanic Bones of Zen. Uh, when I first became interested personally in Buddhism many, many years ago, I read books mostly about Zen. I also have an ongoing interest in uh, shamanism. And while a doctoral student at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, I had the opportunity to take a course on Buddhism and shamanism with the late Dr. Uh, Stephen Goodman, although we didn't do any readings on Zen and shamanism. So I was really happy to find your book, and I think it's an important contribution to the study of Buddhism. Thank you. Of course. So I thought that the first thing I would ask you is to go over a definition, specifically the definition of Zen. Since the way it is used in popular culture is kind of synonymous with being chill, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's not what Zen means. So Osho, what is Zen? I like, I always like the reference to Zen being chill, you Mm -hmm. know, and that the word itself embedded now into, even though it's not maybe appropriate or correct, but it's embedded in our language in Western English language. Uh, especially, you know, United States. So when people use it, I just smile, just like I did. I kind of giggle, <laughs> giggle about it. Or they'll tell me, you know, oh, you're just being Zen. And I know they're thinking, <laughs> of, like acting like something, but there um, are definitions and then there aren't, you know. Um, zen is uh, a word that it comes from, you know, Chan. Zen comes from Chan in it. Chan is Chinese, and and when it got to Japan, it was changed to Zen. And to me, in the way I see it, we're we're really focusing on meditation. And I and I say meditation with emphasis because it's not necessarily mindfulness. Mm-hmm. My mindfulness is is kind of another realm that's included in meditation, but not there. There they both have their own nature and quality you know, to practice. So Zen, when I think Zen, I'm just going to use my own feeling. It it is stillness. So even that chill is, -hmm. it's right in that sense, you know, but it can't be really defined as this is it. And it could be nothing else because it's, it's a vast, it's a vast concept and idea and practice. So to define it is to actually take it away. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, to, to say it's this. So even the way I'm kind of like wanting to go call it divine Zen is really kind of uh, trapping it, you know, in some mm-hmm. way. But it is very spacious and, and vast. And so I, I'm not sure if it's Suzuki Roshi, but said Zen is you. Uh-huh. Zen is you, which mm-hmm. means it's your life. And it is life. You know, not you, you, but life. Right, right, right. And so I like that way of carrying it, mm-hmm. you know, and rather than using caring specifically instead of thinking it, but caring that, uh, carrying it that way as life. And that means everything is Zen. So you've heard that too. Yeah, so it makes, <laughs> it makes everything Zen. And, and so therefore, even in the use of it in this kind of pop Mass, mass way is okay because it, it it has some truth in it the way people are using it yeah 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 it does and i appreciate everything you said one of the things that i've always thought of in terms of zen is this sort of emptying of concepts so i think it's really appropriate to say i don't really want to define it completely because part of zen from my understanding is to be present with the experience, not with the concepts. Yes, right. To, to allow, you know, this is where to me it feels shamanic because it allow mm-hmm. to allow what is to come to you, come to you. Right, and right. it's unseen and unknown. So mm-hmm. if you know it and and you're saying it, this is what it is, even though I'm saying it's shamanic, <laughs> this is what it is. then it kind of takes out the the discovery, the unknown, the mystery of it. Mm -hmm. However, so you're, you're allowing things to come to you. And that doesn't mean that you, your experience can't be articulated. Mm -hmm. And once you experience it and articulate it, you're in the relative realm of your embodiment. And so it's, it makes sense. It's okay, because we're not floating out there. So even though I say allow the unknown to come in, I'm not floating out there trying to find the unknown Mm -hmm. or looking for, you know, trying to discover it using my mind or some kind of whatever, you know, technique or getting a teacher to tell me and then I'll know and that kind of thing. So this kind of abstract, mystical, mysterious (laughs) practice can also be grounded too at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I do want to ask about shamanism. But first, (laughs) because that's a loaded term itself, Uh, completely loaded. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I put Um, it on there, I knew it was gonna be like, (laughs) but go ahead. Yeah, but I think that and this is connected to both the concepts of uh, Buddhism and Zen and also shamanism. And I think that this is something that is so incredibly important in your book is that there is this history of Buddhism, how it is presented to Westerners or to the Western world as uh, almost not even being a religion, Uh, especially Zen. It's like presented as this very austere and maybe even pristine religion but the way that Buddhism is actually practiced is very different often to how it has traditionally been presented. So I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. Okay, so transmission. <laughs> We're speaking of how, how do you transmit right, right. Uh, a practice that is mysterious and, you know, to be discovered <laughs> and these kinds of things. And so I think in the effort to try to find ways to transmit it, every tradition trying to do that in in a world in which the Buddhism did not come from, I think created these different ways of walking the path of Dharma that are, I think the way some people are trying to make it easy, accessible to people. And so then it's kind of gets shifted from where, from the way it might have been practiced by the people who, you know, and from the land and the time and the place that it happened, that it came into being, that it's so different 
from what we're doing. So each country and each person and each tradition figures out this way to try to transmit the teachings of Buddha. And so some people don't even use the word Buddhism so that they can make you aware that it's really Buddhist teachings that are being practiced and, and carried, you know, sitting with it and, and knowing it to bring up our own wisdom from it. So we are a commodity type of people in this country. So if you do this, you get this. There's an exchange, there's a trade. So it's being transmitted that way. The path is being transmitted. Christianity is also the same thing, being transmitted. If you do this, you get this, you know? And so that's the, and we won't do it unless we know we're going to get this. Are we going to be enlightened? Mm, you know, we don't know. Are we going to be better people? Mm, we don't know. So Buddhism, especially Zen, always talks about there's no gain. There is no gain. You really don't become necessarily love, more loving and kind or more compassionate. That's, those are trades, right? I do this and I become compassionate. I do this and I'll be more loving and kind. Maybe, maybe that will come through, but you, it may be something else or something more than that too. Well, how can you be more than kind and compassionate? Well, you could come up with more of an integration of it as opposed to a fragmentation because we are a fragmented society as well, not only one of commodity, but one of fragmentation. So when things are transmitted and presented, they're presented in frag fragments and pieces, and uh, we don't really have the whole transmission or the whole pie. <laughs> we only get, you know, we're, you know, we're only chomping on the crust thinking we got pie. And so, so that, you know, that's the way it is, one, because it's being translated and in, in so many different ways, but I really sometimes like the way of hearing the stories of where you had to climb a mountain or swim an ocean to go find a teacher. Now you can just, you know, folks read a book and they feel they know the Dharma and, and you can't know it by reading it, reading about it. You can be stimulated or maybe motivated and inspired to learn more about it, but you can't know it. Like you really can't know what I'm talking about in that book, right. unless you actually take off and go to a Zen center and <laughs> sit for a while and see what it's about. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of things that are impact, you know, variants that impact how Buddhism is transmitted. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate the experiential aspect. Um, mm. to that, that you have to experience it to know it. But one of the things I was thinking of in the question is there are these aspects to how Buddhism is practiced that I think a lot of Westerners think, well, but that's not how Buddhists are like having talismans or like sort of spells, or, you know, you talk about the, um, some of the chants, I think they're the Dharanis. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book uh, that you kind of equate to spells as well. Right. And there is this, there's always this question of cultural appropriation, which I kind of wanted to get into because that seems to be a concern of yours. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so when it comes to, you know, other traditions coming in. Right. Um, and it seems that, and correct me if I'm mistaken here, that one of the things that you are presenting in the book is that if we leave these other aspects out, that that is actually a kind of cultural appropriation. Am I on the right path there? I think it's an a, a appropriation when you don't understand or realize that, that the practice has come from an indigenous people you you think it's something it, you made it your own you know and it's, it's it started here it started in 19 1968 you know <laughs> right here in in this country you know and that's in maybe a, a particular way of doing it did but not the practice itself so and if you're not really 
interested in you say walking the path you know as it is then you're just doing something you're, you're um, following a crowd i don't know what makes people appropriate i think it's just not knowing what they're doing right. you know yeah. if you're not knowing what you're doing you i mean you can buy a buddhist robe of any tradition online on the internet and wear it <laughs> i mean you could be a fake Buddhist, a fake monk or none, which happened, I think, in New York. Some folks got yeah. some robes and were walking up and down the street getting money from folk. Um, wow. so, yeah, that actually happened because you can get these robes. Hmm. But I think that what I'm, I'm trying to say mainly is that to recognize that even Buddhism came from someplace mm-hmm. and that and within it is there are still remnants of it of of the of the mystical you know spirit indigenous sacred things are still in it now it's not taught and i think it's not taught because when buddhism came into this country during the 60s uh, 50s and 60s it was a new religion and and of course there was you know the country's predominantly christian at that time and so those who took it on were being counterculture you know, in their way to take on Buddhism. And so it wasn't something that I think they might have been afraid, like, how, well, how are people going to look at this? How are we going to fit in? You know, what, do you tell your parents you're practicing Buddhism? And still today, people probably feel the same way. You know, I don't know if I should tell my, you know, or I meditate, but it's not Buddhism. It's not. And that's fine, too. You know, I think there's such a thing as secular meditation mm-hmm. and secular mindfulness using pieces of a of a practice you know does it work it works for something I, it, and the result is something much different than if you went deeply into path into the path and did all the rituals and all the ceremonies mm-hmm. so to take just something you know a piece out i think um someone asked me recently i just want i just want to um can i just do zazen by myself at home you know and and i said i told her i said well Sure. I said, but it's always our Western mind that wants to do something so individual, whereas Buddhism is communal. It's a communal practice. It's about community. Sangha, Sangha, Sangha. And so even though it's not fun, it's not always fun. This is like a family. It's not always fun. You're at work. It's not fun to be with your work uh, co-workers all the time. And so Buddhism is from a communal people and when I think it got here, it got very individualistic because, of course, mm-hmm. that's the way the Western thought is. And so to bring an Eastern thought, I think, creates, uh, takes away that communal, which when you take away the communal, you're taking away the rituals, the ceremonies, mm-hmm. you're taking away some of the, you know, of course, there's cultural aspects that mm-hmm. like maybe are Japanese or Chinese and we're not that. But when we acknowledge the ancestors of that practice, I think to me, we're asking permission. <laughs> Right. You know, by acknowledging and making offerings to the ancestors, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Koreans, the Vietnamese, wherever, you know, whatever group your tradition may be coming from. So I think a lot of people, when I had the book, they've asked me, well, I want to do some shamanic work. What should I do? And I said, you're doing, you know, I'm in Zen, but I want to do some shamanic work. I said, that's the point of the book that Zen is shamanic, it is, you're doing it. And they said, well, I don't know what to do. What's the first thing I should do? And I said, sit down, mm-hmm. sit, that's the practice. Sit, is sit. you're sitting on the earth. You're not just having this like, okay, I'm gonna sit down like I do when I talk to my therapist or like whatever, or like when I have meetings, you're sitting on the earth. And if you can understand that in a, in a deeper sense, I think it gives a different texture, content, or you know both the same words but it gives a different feeling to what you're doing you know when you're doing the practice so i i i tell folk that buddhism kind of was an overlay upon many indigenous traditions yeah you know people were kind of in some places because the emperor loved it had you know ended up doing (laughs) it right so it became sort of like this practice that was not was foreign Right. You know, to people. 
Yeah, there's a uh, the concept in Buddhism, I think, of the skillful means. And so that as it spread about, it did absorb a lot of the local cultural uh, flavors, if you will. And, and I think that everything you said about Buddhism in the United States in the 50s and 60s is absolutely correct. But I also, I did some research, I lived in Denver, and I did a history of Buddhism in Denver when I was a grad student. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I discovered, because I spoke to it was the Reverend, I think his name was Reverend Okamoto, of the Tri-State Buddhist Center. And what I learned from him, because I'm like, well, you're going by the title of reverend, you know, and that didn't seem to me to be a very Buddhist title. And what I learned was that the uh, Japanese and Chinese immigrants that came here, then you had that persecution at World War II. That's right. And one of the things that they did is the Buddhists, then they took on the religious forms within the United States. And I think mostly the Methodists. (laughs) And so that's why going to that, you didn't go to that church, you went to that, or that Buddhist temple, you went to the Buddhist church. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. That's right. And in a way, that's why I don't use reverend. You know, I don't use it, but they use it at, in my lineage. I mean, okay. more so than Osho. Nobody uses Osho, right, right, you know, right. and Sensei is really a, a master and teacher of martial arts, not necessarily Zen. And Roshi are for those people who are head of a community, entire like, you know, Zen center. Right. Then they're, they're Roshi, you know, in that sense. In Osho, like I said, it means teacher. And when you die, you're Dio show. You know, so when you're chanting, they go, so-and-so Dio show, you know, that you become a great teacher. You come, you're even greater now that you're dead. So (laughs) (laughs) now that you're an ancestor. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I also appreciate everything you said about the Sangha, because that is part, it's the triple Jews, jewels, right? The, the, right. the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So I always identify as a Buddhist, but a very bad Buddhist because I don't have a Sangha and recognizing that I'm like, I can't really call myself Buddhist without that Sangha, uh, without that community. Yeah. I want, I meant to say, cause the person who was asking about, you know, Zazen, I could see, hear in her question also, she didn't want to do Sangha. Right. And right. Uh, obviously when someone says, can I sit alone? Right. And um, and I was telling her about, yeah, that's the Western way. But I want to go back to that because the other thing I, I said is, you know, grab a couple of friends, you know, mm-hmm. two or three friends and then and chant and do, you know, I said, try to do more than just Zazen. I said, we always just want, you know, either the the cherries out of the pie. Let's go back to the pie instead of the crust. <laughs> I don't like crust. So I just like the cherries. And so you get t- picking what you want try and mm-hmm. say that's what it is, but it's, right. it's everything. So I said to pick a few friends, you know, mm-hmm. and sit and don't teach each other or anything. You're just sitting and ringing bells and things like that. And I said, and then when you get to the place, maybe you're together a year or so, and you feel like you're committed with each other to keep doing this activity, then as a group, engage a teacher, ask for a teacher to come and visit with you once a month. I said, and I said, it's kind of a different twist than saying, than individuals coming up and say, I want you to be my teacher, you know, by themselves, rather, rather than you're asking as a group to come and, and then, then bring a teacher. And I think that's more effective. Mm-hmm. And it takes away a little bit of that kind of idea that you need to be in this kind of hierarchical situation one-on-one. So let's be a hierarchical in a group, right, right. but but at least it's a little bit different. And I feel like it, like people ask me that a lot, but you know, a group, if you've been together for a year and you're sitting together to ask as a group and not for oneself, will bring your uh, inquiry and your quest will come differently. It won't be just about you and yours, you know? It'll be much more about Sangha, much uh, more broader than one's own individual life. And that's a place I think we still have work to do in terms of Buddhism. And I tell people, you really can't become a Buddhist because people want to become, they start acting like Buddhists. They tell you, you aren't acting like a Buddhist. And a lot of police, cop cops in the buddhist 
Buddhist world, you know, and there's no such a thing, you know, no such a thing. And, and everything that's in the world is in the Sangha. Everything that's um, inside a person is in the world. None of that goes away because you're now absorbing Buddhist teachings. You know, so some people like absorb it with the mind. So they think, well, I know what loving kindness is. Mm. And they're going to tell you, you don't, right. you know, so that's, 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 that's that Western overlay. That's also a very oppressive overlay in thinking of the practice. Cause there's, there's no such a thing as you knowing it and me not knowing it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's outstanding advice. I really like that. Um, yeah, because, you know, personally, the thing that has prevented me from joining a Sangha is just that they're so far away and I don't want to deal with the traffic, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, that's honest, realistic, you know? yeah. that's realistic because indigenous practice are within the village, yeah. every practice. And this is an indigenous practice that was right. taken away from the land. So we would live together. Mm -hmm. Where I live, there's a number of Buddhists, you know, but because it's so individual, we don't even think to sit together, to be together. They're all in different traditions, uh, mostly Vipassana, of course, that's the most famous, yeah. you know, most popular. And so it just, it, it's this way, it's still the American walk. Mm -hmm. You know, we got Buddhism and we're walking with it. I got it. I got it. And I'm gone yeah. with it. So I think it's, we're out of the village. Mm -hmm. We're away from the land and the, the earth in which it came from. Buddha set on the earth, and that's why I called them a shaman. And we were talking about the problem with that word. Let's get back to that too. Yeah, yeah. But sitting on the on the earth and, right. and waiting to receive and the wisdom and from the earth and from the unseen. You know, he didn't know what he was going to come up with or if he came up with anything. He was just he was meditating without trying to he didn't know he would come up with anything and he wasn't the only one either there were many 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 buddhists many awakened ones many lords many in and of all genders of all genders his became popular because he was the one that said oh everyone can do this and they were like not you know we have a caste system this is not how it goes you know so it couldn't it yeah. it, it didn't it, that didn't work right Right, right. And still today, it's not a big time religion in India because. Right. Yeah. I think most of the Buddhists in India yeah. are the Tibetans in exile. Yeah. yeah. There's a um, there's a few other groups, but they're not. Yeah. No. Well, no. Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's turn to this term shaman and shamanism. And in what ways do Buddhism and shamanism meet? Yeah. So, you know, I hesitated on using that word. And when I presented the, I was asked, you know, do you want to write a book? And when I presented that title, I was going to change the title later. And they're like, oh, no, we like it like this. And I said, okay, this is going to be a problem yeah. because <laughs> the term is used for so many things and by so many people for so many reasons. And I explained in the book about it coming from the Tungus people and what it meant to them, probably something very different than what we're, we're using it for. And, but the idea of it, not the word, because we've lost our words, because we've lost shamanism. We lost our words, the different various words, instead of just shamanism. It's just been lost. So like the Tungus one held on in the world. But to me, when I use it, I was talking about spiritual awakening and an experience that is beyond this world, something that you couldn't imagine happening happens. And not just the happening though, that the happening awakens and has transformative elements to it. So a lot of people are telling me, yes, I see things and I go, mm -hmm. but what, what does that mean? It, you know, that's, does it mean anything? Doesn't mean you're special. You know, because there's a lot of people, I mean, almost everybody probably does and just probably don't want to deal with it. But, you know, they all they hear things and they go, oh, okay, you know, we rationalize it away. But, you know, and plus, we're not supposed to be that way, right? We're not supposed to to deal with anything that you can't see. You know, that's, that's, that's the, I think, the little droplet of Christianity in there when people turn away from that, you know, and the, all, the kind of Christianity that 
that's taken on in this country because Christianity is also indigenous and mystical mm-hmm. and shamanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with, yeah. yeah, you see where it goes if you keep getting further and further away from it, what happens yeah. to, to it. So, you know, I think that the word, I'm just using it to relate back to the earth, mm-hmm. which Buddhism is always talking about, elements, the seasons, Buddhism always talks about it. The awakening, the awareness, the stillness is all right there, you know, all in nature. And so if we're we're connected to nature and ourselves as nature, because we are nature, and we're nature because we're form, we are form and all things that are form are nature, are from nature. So you don't have to go and try to make that like I'm pretend you're you you know you're your nature. You don't have to do anything about it. You're you're just you're a form. You don't have to do anything. Mostly we don't have to do anything about anything, you know. And that's the problem. We we do too much and to everything. So so when we stop doing, we kind of like Buddha did. We we enter that I think I would call a shamanistic realm, an environment in which medicine, wisdom whatever you want to call it, can come through for for not just your life, but for everyone. So it comes through you for everyone. Everything mm-hmm. comes through maybe a portal. You could be a portal in it, but it's for everyone. And so, and you don't have to be a teacher to like, okay, let me, I got it, let me tell you. Uh, but you can just be, and it will be felt. I have this wonderful friend, I just, I just like just being in in her presence because she barely says anything, but she's not silent because she's bashful or you know scared to speak. She's she's carrying her stillness because she lives lives as a mendicant, mm-hmm. you know. And so I can feel it. I I can just look at her and feel that forest she lives in. That's that's what we are, all of us. But we have so many, you know clouds and overlays that that are in our way folks can't feel us you know as nature or we can't even feel ourselves as that because we're traumatized Mm -hmm. right the trauma that we go through Uh, she's traumatized but you still can see the forest yeah yeah we're we're all traumatized i think yeah Uh, you can't you can't possibly not be right you can't not be traumatized and the trauma that happens to us is to be used. Mm-hmm. You can't run away from it. You can't go to any, no one's going to be able to take it away from you or change right. it really. Right. It, it's just, it's there to be recognized, mm-hmm. acknowledged, met. Right. Yeah. It. My understanding is that one of the earliest ways of thinking about the Buddha was as a healer. I mean, one of the earliest images is the medicine Buddha. And I, I'm curious if this idea of healing is what is actually primary versus this idea that we have of the purpose being awakening mm-hmm. or are the two connected? You know, it, it makes me kind of bring myself to my own experience again. Like I only can use my experience and, you know, the, the amount of suffering that has occurred in my life and how I used to just hate suffering, you know, and I would suffer the suffering. And now I suffer, but I don't hate it at all. And I understand it, not here. I understand that what is happening is the healing, the transformation and the awareness and the awakening. So when it's there, there is a certain amount of joy, even though I'm, I'm like <laughs> really in pain and suffering. But there's a certain amount of joy because I know that I'm in that I'm in that space. I'm in I'm. I always tell people I'm being worked on. That's <laughs> that's what people who do juju would say, you know, or do magical things and mystical things that you're being worked on. You know, your soul and your spirit's being worked into that place so that you can uh, live this life fully to the the mm-hmm. fullest. I guess and I say fully to the fullest you can because then it's gone, right? So we're just living to the fullest every moment. And we started out as babies and the fullest just meant getting our diapers changed and some milk or something. Maybe that was the full, the fullest we could get. And we constantly are doing that. But I think that this suffering 
is 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 a thing that happens to us because we're human and it's being worked on we're being worked on and we have to see it that way and to we don't have to we we can see it that way and when we see it though in that way then doing a ritual or ceremony while we're in this process of kind of developing our own medicine Mm -hmm. developing our own wisdom and then so we're kind of needing help to be have a container until we come through that that work that's happening you know that death that happens the the maybe you know the change of a job or whatever loss or whatever that's going on political uh unrest and oppression and all these things we all experience that these are things that create exactly what we are here for in terms of coming into our wholeness you can call it healing so we're always healing then you know and just living is healing you know and so we don't know what death is so i i think that awakening well enlightenment is always something that people talk about in buddhism a lot that they want that exchange they want to they want to know well you can't know until in until you keep walking and then you know you may become aware but you you don't know enlightenment is not to know to me it's not knowing to me it's like your mind is totally blown when you're enlightened you really don't know anything you're you're more clueless than ever you know you're you're completely lost when you're enlightened so some people say i want to be enlightened do you want to be lost do you want to lose your mind you know do you want to let go just be totally uh, not know what to ground yourself in and we're we actually live like that all the time we just have fake ground under us our fake things you know things we hold we think we're holding on to you know it's we're we're living like that and we know it we know we don't know anything we don't we know we don't know where we're coming from and where we're going we don't know where we're going when we die we have no idea we don't really know where we came from so we know this it's a fear it's a constant fear yeah. 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 Osho, I appreciate that so much because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And mm-hmm. looking back at another journal, apparently I've been thinking about this for the past year because mm-hmm. the language is there with us all the time of, you know, wake up. <laughs> right. And it's always presented as knowledge and truth. Right. And that has a long, long history. And so I've been kind of ruminating over this idea of awakening and what exactly does it mean? And I was going to ask you, so thank you for kind of addressing it. And where I have personally gotten is, I think, very similar to what you just said, is that for me, it's not knowledge, but it is getting to the point where you are very comfortable surfing the uncertainties. Right, right. Because every day, every minute, is some kind of disruption, right? Mm-hmm. Collectively, individually. And so those disruptions are gonna always happen. They'll, they'll always be there, you know, and as people. And I tell people, we may not always have racism, right. but there'll be something else right. because that's what life is. That's what it's mm-hmm. about. It's almost like we're on some kind of, somebody's watching us and we're all on some kind of training course. That's why they're like <laughs> a God kind of concept, watching us running around down here and on earth, <laughs> trying to figure it out. But, you know, there is, it, it, to me, I'm so clear. I am so clear that it's, it's the, everything, all the suffering itself is a portal. Mm-hmm. And when I sit Zazen or meditation and, and you enter that portal together, that I, that's when to me, it all comes together, you know, the, the connection, the alignment, they say sometimes, but that connection with that, that unseen and the wisdom that is that meditation is meant to bring. We are to see this life, you know, not only try to change all the things, you know, but to, to see it. And so when we see that even our, our change work, our social justice work, we, we change it from that that place of having seen deeply, not from having thought it out, you know, which is where we've been doing for decades is we work from how we thought it out, 
not what we've seen deeply mm-hmm. into the nature of life. We don't we yeah. don't move from that place right. too often. Yeah. 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 I wanted to ask you about that as well because the social justice issues seems to be very primary to what you're writing about. Mm-hmm. Maybe in some of your other books, a little bit more than the shamanic bones of Zen. But I wanted to ask you about that, about mm-hmm. how this practice can help heal the world mm-hmm. and create a more just world. Mm-hmm. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Uh- yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It really is. We just don't trust it. We don't right. trust it, but it is. And, and maybe not how we can see it, how we can measure it and how we want it. And I was just having this conversation with someone because they were like, well, nobody's changing. We got to transform the institutions and the, and the racism. And, you know, we got to get, nobody's changing. And, we're, and I'm, I'm going, I said, well, will you take me, will you tell me right now in this moment, a place where they have completely transformed uh, racism or oppression or anything, tell me where that is. And I'm coming, I'm gonna go, I'm going there. I wanna see it. Where is it? Where is it? Nowhere, nowhere. Because so you're harping on something that that is, is may not exist, but we want to have that goal. We want to have that exchange. We work so hard, we should get this, you know? And so I remember someone saying, you know, we've done so much work and then we got November, 2016. <laughs> everybody knows that that month in that year we get that new kind of uh president neil um whatever neil this neil that everything new around whiteness and 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 when it and when it happened you know i was i was excited this has made people mad I was excited because it meant, and I knew, and it did just what I said. It meant that there were going to be a whole lot of people that were going to see. They were going to begin to see, and and only, and it would take this for us to see. Otherwise, we just, you know, which we were, kind of like moving along. And so many, many things have been created because of uh, of of that situation so but one person was not feeling good about it like oh we failed you know and i said could it be so could it be that what is what is happening is still happening it hasn't gone away from 2006 has not gone away it's gotten probably worse more underground but it's still there could it be that it is happening because we have done our work Mm. and we've done it so well that this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And so that, so instead of like, oh no, because it didn't come out the way you wanted to see it. So this is, this is actually seeing and seeing it all like view, like the first part of the succession of suffering, that first phase, just view of, of, of all of it, not a linear view, a sphere, a, you know, like all over and really seeing and looking into it. That's how I was able to see that, oh, this is just because we're working so hard mm-hmm. rather than just saying, oh man, look what's happening. I could see like that, that's very linear, you know? Oh my God. And I felt that way. That's not to say, I was like, oh no, right. but I was like, okay, let's get to work. Okay, right. here we are, here we are. And right. so, and we will be, we're still there. And, I, and, we, and it's gonna be an amazing, opportunity, I wouldn't even say opportunity, a major, I don't like the word, a major um, shift for human beings. We're already in it, then, we, then we're throwing a pandemic, you know, and, and we'll be thrown, we'll be thrown all the time yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. forever. As long yeah. as they're human beings, we'll be thrown, we'll be disrupted, we'll be thrown, we have to be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my approach on (laughs) that fateful day uh, and after has always been to, and I tried to think of this in in a sense of a a Buddhist approach in terms of compassion, but also recognizing that everything that 
was like, I found horrifying and characteristics that I'm like are awful. Mm-hmm. I would turn it back in onto myself and use it as a learning opportunity to ask, you know, how am I in that way? So one of the examples is with the former president, I couldn't stand his arrogance. I couldn't stand the ignorance. I couldn't stand the bullying. And so I would turn it around. I'm like, in what ways am I arrogant? In what ways am I a bully? In what ways am I ignorant? Rather than projecting it onto him, but to use it as a tool for my own healing, which then I think would go to help heal the larger community. That's right. Because you are as an individual are not an individual, you're interrelated to other people. Mm-hmm. And so some people will feel like that idea of taking it off of him and putting it on oneself or turning it into oneself to look, will go, oh, that lets him off the hook and we still don't get, you know, you don't get to deal with what he's doing. But you are affecting others when you are able to transform and heal yourself and into because people can feel it again like i said i felt the forest in my friend mm-hmm. you know she didn't have to tell me she lived in the forest i could feel the forest so i think it's the same thing once you you begin to expand become more vast as a human being that you begin to impact others around you and it's not in some people you've never seen and never will meet you will impact and so that that's amazing that one person maybe can impact, you know, at least 10 to 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people if just one person can do that, yeah. you know, yeah. so we always know we can impact people in a bad way, but we also can impact people in other ways. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to not to not to, to trust that one's path will affect the, the larger. The larger masses of people. Right. You know, the per it you know, the affect the person right next to you. Mm-hmm. But if you're busy just looking out, looking out, looking out, and and then your friends are probably pointing to you like, and yeah, so and so, you know, saying the same thing about you behind your back. So and so, he's just blah blah blah. You know, of course, people everybody has probably a bunch of folks like that, you know, behind pointing to them about what they're what they're doing. There are no perfect people. No. You know, there are no I always tell people I have said, Do you think Tik Nanan was perfect? You think he was a perfect teacher? Yeah. No. No. no, he was a man. He was a man. How could he be perfect? He was a human being. Right. He was a wonderful teacher. He mm-hmm. was, but he was a man. So I'm sure he had troubles. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there was trouble and chaos and, you know, I knew some of it because, <laughs> because I knew some of the nuns, but of course it's the same, but people get these ideas because of what's presented and the images presented, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really valuable insight as well as to recognize that there's no one who's perfect because I think sometimes we hold up these, you know, like moral exemplars Mm -hmm. and then one little slight we're like, Oh, well, we can't follow them anymore. That's right. That's right. So everybody's afraid of, of their own imperfections, but there is a perfection in, let's say, the, the, the sense that, you know, good, thank goodness we didn't have anything to do with making ourselves up. There's a place in which this is that shamanic place in which we can't, there's a place where suffering doesn't touch. That, that, that who we are, there's a place about, of who we are where suffering doesn't touch. And, and we know it that there's that that feeling and so we that's the unseen and the beyond right and so i think that sometimes we that we can self be self-loathing because we're feeling imperfect that's i think we're inferior than feeling inferior because we really have a a attention to superiority and inferiority which is what the book the way a tenderness was about you know, uh, inferiority and superiority in everything, not just race, in everything. We have it in everything. Yeah. This car is better, this tree, cut those trees down. We don't care about oaks we like, but we love those redwoods, you know? So, you know, this everything is, there's the superiority and in, in, in that affects what gets to stay, what gets, what goes, who goes, you know, who needs to, who need to get rid of that person. And so sometimes, of course, there are times when that may should happen. 
But I think overall, when you expand and you grow and you get more vast, the way the teachings are as vast as that ocean, when they talk about it, you get, you see more of a person than just that little piece that you see. Doesn't mean you have to live with them, but you get to see more of a person. And I've really learned, oh my God, have I learned that on this walk of the Dharma. Oh my God. Yeah. I, it's just been incredible and it enables me to engage the world because I do understand the multidimensional aspect of life. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Really is important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I, I know that we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I wanted to ask you a question about the ancestors. And because you have a, a, an entire chapter devoted to the ancestors, mm -hmm. and I wanted to ask you about the importance of them and who the ancestors were. Is it just the teachers, the lineage? I know that in some indigenous cultures, the ancestors are actual spirits um, that can be communed with. So who are the ancestors and what is the importance of working with them? Okay. All of what you say are ancestors, all of it. It could be your bloodline, your spiritual line, anything that was here before you. The sun, the moon, the earth, the medicine, the plants, the people, everything that was here before you that is sustaining your life how you got here that your, your source there's a source of life and you're from it and so you can acknowledge you can even not know the ancestors i acknowledge ancestors i don't know mm -hmm. i and will never know mm -hmm. i'm not even talking about people i just don't know what you know was here before i arrived and so the importance of it is, is to understand that we're not here because we did this ourselves. How we were thinking we we're talking about arrogance and ego, that that's arrogant. Right. Buddhism, Buddhism is an ancestral wisdom practice. It's totally about the, it's only about the ancestors almost because <laughs> there's Buddha, mm -hmm. you know, there's, he is an ancestor, right? And, and we chant with Buddha, we talk about Buddha, we Buddha, Buddha, that's the big, great ancestor, right? So I think an understanding that we we're making a connection. So even as I speak, everything I say here today, in terms of especially Zen and Buddhism, I have to honor and make offerings to the Buddha mm -hmm. and for the teachings that have been passed to me. Now, of course, I have the wisdom, I've created some of my own wisdom in it, but the, the source of where I, why I'm even sitting here with you is because of the Buddha. And to make that connection so that you and I can have that conversation that then goes further and, and more people, you know, another thousand, two thousand people get to, to connect. So it's, it really helps to cultivate our interrelationship not only to human beings, all living beings and to all things in the world, that, that is an ancestral practice. And I lean toward things that have an ancestral lineage to it. You know, that things have been passed. Have they been passed correctly? That's always debatable. Right. You know, what's correct? Of course they changed and shift according to the land, the people and the time. Yes, they shift. But still, something has been passed. Zazen has been passed. So that's what I said. I'm really glad that the one thing that did get transmitted very well, I think, into the, the Western world is meditation and Zazen. Yeah. And, and the Buddhists and the Asians aren't the only ones that had that. Africans 10,000 years ago were sitting, mm -hmm. sitting meditation. It's old. It's an old activity of opening to life is so old, you know, and to see, right. and they saw things we never, we, we don't have the capacity. We're just too far away, yeah. you know, from the land. We're just too far away from the land. We're, we're going back. So, you know, it's cause it's all crumbling. We're going back to, <clears throat> yeah, it's all crumbling, you know? 
So we won't be here maybe to see it, but it's got to go back and then I'll start again. <laughs> Something else will start happening. I don't know, because we don't know what we are, what, why things keep you know, happening and recycling, yeah. you know, in that way. What, what is this energy mm-hmm. that comes and does this stuff over and over and over again? Right. And, and what is it for, you know, um, if, I, if I can talk, I'm going to ask that question before I leave <laughs> the world. <laughs> Who was this for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. see if when I get on the other side, I get some kind of an answer. Yeah. Yeah. But I, well, I, yeah, I appreciate all of that. So very much. Yeah. That's one of, you know, I, I try to honor my ancestors on a daily basis. Sometimes I mess up, but I have a little prayer that I say, but part of it is, based on this idea of the interconnection. And I always end it, it, the acknowledgement that I am because they were. Mm -hmm. And my other practice is to go out into nature and just be, (laughs) just to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, Yeah. just be. um, That was the same, you know, I think it's really important to stop. We get, it's just so much and don't wait to die to stop. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I know that we are out of time. So let me ask you the two uh, final questions that I always ask people. Okay. One is the, what, what's next for you? What do you have coming up next? Do you have any <laughs> retreats, any Dharma talks or new books coming up? Well, yeah, I'm wore out. I'm real tired, you know, cause I put out, let's see, I had a book in 2020, the deepest piece. And then I, I just put out the shamanic bones of Zen and next year, winter, putting out a book called Opening to Darkness, mm. Eight Gateways for Being with the Absence of Light oh. and Unsettling Times, okay. coming from Sounds True. Okay. And so that I will be doing, it has actually work in this one. I've actually created a little path that will help, I think, cultivate our intuition, mm-hmm. you know, which, so it's kind of bringing all of my teachings together transmissions I'll say together and you know the Buddhism my oracle and divination and teaching people not using those things individually but using the essence of them to help people cultivate their own intuition and wisdom about uh, of the world because the world's in the dark we are in the dark we live in the dark and how great it is how great it is and to really I think help decrease the longing for light because that's that causes a lot of suffering yeah 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 i think that the being in the shadows is important and recognizing that as well yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that that's coming out so that'll be busy i'm gonna take a break in a minute (laughs) you know for the summer i'll be taking a break and then i have a few classes at tara mandala okay i think a class on death okay yeah, on death. I hope I'm able to do that one. <laughs> like, did I do that to myself? And one on sacred poetry, a, co- a contemplative poetry at Barry. Okay. All right. Barry yeah. uh, Center for Buddhist Studies. Yeah, yeah, and poetry is a, a essential part of Zen practice, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually to me really was a, a big gateway for me to for Zen because I was a poet. I've been a poet since I was eight. So for a practice to be, be so steeped in it, I, I was, you know, called even more to the practice. And then the way the deepest piece is my poetry book. That's where all my poetry, the most, most of it, not all, because I have secular poetry as well. But a lot of my contemplative poetry is in that book and prose. And it's actually my favorite book. I pick it up and read it all the time. I don't read the others that much, yeah. but I do read the deepest piece. It, it really brings me peace, <laughs> an experience of peace, I'll say. I don't know. Each time it feels different. Yeah. But that's the one that I felt came from the earth. That okay. book came from the earth. Okay. So, well, I'll, yeah. I'll have to look at that one. Yeah. So the last question is, where is the best place for people to go to find out more about you and your work? I believe you have a website, right? I do. Web, uh, Zenju.org is my website. Z-E-N-J-U dot org. And um, you can go and see some things. Not everything gets up there because I'm overwhelmed uh, uh, with so much work. A lot of times it doesn't 
make it to right. to the website. I don't have a, a website person right okay. now. Okay. Well, I will put a link to uh, your website in the show notes in the video description. And I will also put links for the shamanic bones of Zen for everyone. So Osho, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your presence today. It is truly uh, appreciated. And I'm very, very grateful. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And that's a wrap on episode 43 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help. If you have a moment to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review and please consider subscribing. For those of you viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I've been releasing episodes weekly and would very much like to continue doing so. I'm also working on creating uh, additional video content for the YouTube channel, including some more book reviews, uh, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. But that extra content takes a lot of time and work. If you would like to support me in creating free and credible material on YouTube and continuing with this podcast, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link for that in the video description or show notes. Your support makes this podcast and my work possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.